You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. We're going to talk about heaven today. Did you ever pick a good day to be at church? But I hope that you're here every Sunday. Not, not, only, not only when we talk about heaven. But I, I, I have been praying for your heart, for my heart, that God would encourage our hearts in a great, big way. Um, so, yeah. And that's, again, and I say this all the time, that's not because I'm preaching, but because God's word is being preached. Amen. And God's word has power. It has power to save. It has power to lift, to encourage. Amen. Do we believe that, church? Yes, we do. <clears throat> in a day that's filled with bad news, <clears throat> we all need to hear some good news, Right? We've had our share of bad news and continues. So this morning, I'm going to share with you some good news, right? Heaven, speaking about heaven, about what's on our calendar and and about what awaits us in the future. As of right now, you probably have next to nothing, and I mean mean no, no offense by this. You have next to nothing on your calendar when it comes to things that will happen with certainty in your life. I know we plan and we should plan vacations and this and that and meetings, and but nothing happens with certainty, you know, nothing. But there's one thing that is coming with certainty, and that is what God wants to encourage us with this morning. And that's not because I'm saying it, but that's because it's based on God's word, and he's got a flawless track record of fulfilling his promises. Every human being knows with certainty that life on planet Earth will always come to an end, Right? I think everyone has, has asked this, this kind of question. You know, what is, what is on the other side? What's after life? Is there anything after life, after this life? This is where the Bible is so meaningful. This is where the Bible is so hopeful and helpful for the Christian. I hope that all of us here are genuine Christians. This life is like the move to our eternal home. When I moved to the U.S. about seven years ago from Canada... It took a little bit of planning and packing and thinking and praying and et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot that goes into it, right? So for the Christian, you need to know that your life on planet Earth in this context, the way we have it now, is the journey to your home. This life here and now is the move to your eternal home. Did you know that? This is not your home. This is your, you know, temporary residence, but it is the world that you're passing through on the way to the eternal home that God has for all of us. And so when it comes to talking about heaven and the kingdom of God and what it is like, Jesus' disciples, they came to him and they basically asked him, so what's it going to be like when we move to heaven? And how do we get there? What are the directions? What's the plan? And how should we be packing? And how, what should we expect? Now, not in so many words, but we find this conversation in Matthew 18. And more specifically, the disciples ask the question this way in Matthew 18.1. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Lord? And then we have Jesus' response starting in verse 2, and I want to read it. And the Bible says, and calling to him a child, this is how we respond to the question. He calls a child to him. He put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's quite a response, isn't it? Their question was, how do we prepare ourselves to go to this great, grand, glorious, eternal home? And who gets to sit at your right hand? So what Jesus does is he pulls a child kind of like Santa at the mall, sits, sits him on his, on his lap, and he says, you know what? If you want to enter into my kingdom, you need to be like this child. What Jesus is talking about here is that to envision the future, to, to see the physical kingdom of heaven, to imagine and hope for the eternal life in God's heavenly presence, it requires that we have a childlike faith. That's what he was saying. Now, Jesus is not saying childish faith, because childish faith is immature. Now, lots of Christians have that. (laughs) What Jesus is saying is childlike faith. And what I believe Jesus was pointing to is, is this. Childlike faith is represented by two things, trust and imagination. Trust and imagination. Now, as a father myself, 
one of the things that is astonishing to me is my kids' inherent sense of trusting me. It's unbelievable. It's mind-blowing. Whatever I tell them, they believe me. <laughs> I mean, we have quite a responsibility on our hands, sure. They trust me with everything they got. In addition, raising kids is amazing because they have such an incredible imagination. Unbelievable. Kids can dream and envision and they can live in worlds of lots of hypothetical possibilities. It's, it's amazing. Taya especially, she dresses up. She's our four-year-old. She dresses up. She plays out storylines. It's unbelievable, right? Kids, they have a great imagination. And unfortunately, what happens is as we get older, we tend to be more jaded and less trusting, don't we? And, and also, we tend to lose our sense of wonder and imagination as we get older. Uh, pretty sad, but that's just what happens. And I think that when Jesus says to really understand the kingdom, you've got to become like one of these kids. You've got to be like a child. What he's saying is that you've got to trust your heavenly father. That's what he's saying. And also, in a sense, you've got to use your imagination regarding your eternal home. Church, here's what I want you to know. If you're a genuine Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, there is a moving day set for you. It's coming. It is coming with certainty. Your journey through this life is ultimately to get you home. And the Bible talks about this home and gives us a few amazing pictures of it. Do you trust that your Heavenly Father is good, church? Do you? And that He's preparing a beautiful home for you? Do you? I want to talk about five of these glorious and amazing pictures that the Bible relates to us when it comes to heaven, when it comes to our eternal home. You're going to need to use your imagination. And just so you know, we'll look at them in succession. So five things. And the first thing that the Bible relates to us is that heaven is a kingdom. Heaven is a kingdom. I want us to open it. We're going to be pretty much all over the Bible, but especially in Revelation. I've, I've grew a love for Revelation this week, the last two weeks, which is amazing. Great book. But I want us to open up to 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. I'll have the Bible on the, we'll have the, Bible on the, on the uh, screens as well. So if you haven't brought a Bible, that's totally fine. The context here is something called the Davidic Covenant. Now, David was a king, and he established a kingdom. And it was prophesied and promised that through David, there would come King Jesus to establish the eternal kingdom of God. Let's, let's, read, let's read it together. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and I will establish his kingdom. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What the Bible talks about here is the kingdom of King Jesus, a kingdom that will last forever. The kingdom of God Again, we're to use our imagination, is like a kingdom ruled by a perfect king. He sits and he sits on a throne throughout the whole Bible. This is the picture that we get, church. Jesus is continually shown to be ruling and reigning from a throne. We need to know that right now this throne exists and Jesus is seated upon it in this unseen physical kingdom of his. And that that one day this, this throne will come right to this earth as, as heaven literally becomes one with the new earth. New heaven, new earth, they come together. We'll talk more about this when we hit the Revelation passages. And King Jesus establishes his divine rulership over all creation that he has made. And this is this great, glorious, grand picture of Jesus as king forever. There will be a day, believe it or not, when we have no more elections. Where we, hey man, hallelujah. Where we don't need to have any more voting. There will only be one person who makes all the decisions. That will be our King Jesus from his throne. And we'll all be happy together forever. That's a possibility only with Jesus. And that's the whole context of, of Hebrews 11. If you've heard of, of, of this book, first of all, but this particular chapter in Hebrews, it is the chapter on faith, and it lists all these saints who died in faith, trusting that this life was their journey to their eternal home. Now, again, can we use our imagination a little bit in answering these following questions? 
what will it be like when there are no longer nations, but all nations are united in one kingdom? Can you imagine that? What will it be like when the rulers and the presidents and, and, and the generals are not competing anymore, but one ruler who's serving everyone? Can you imagine that? What will it be like when there are no wars because the Prince of Peace has come? What will it be like when we are not fighting for resources, but under the leadership of King Jesus, we are sharing all resources? Can we even imagine that? What will it be like when Jesus brings life to those who've experienced death, healing to those who have experienced sickness? This kingdom is coming right now. This kingdom exists in the unseen realm. And one day it will return to the earth and it will come on the clouds with our King Jesus when he returns. Church, this is the hope of the believer. This is our hope in the midst of the pain and the suffering that we go through in this life down here. And this is why some people who long for this king and, and his kingdom, this is why sometimes we get sidetracked with all kinds of silly politics, don't we? We start putting our faith in people who think that all nations can reunite somehow here and now in this fallen, broken planet. That all wars can cease and all needs can be met. And ultimately, what they are longing for, whether they know it or not, is the coming, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Until Jesus shows up, church, there will be conflicts between kingdoms and people will always suffer in this context of sin. But when the king comes, all the conflicts will cease. And pain and suffering will be no more. And we won't have any more needs. And the children of God will be united forever and ever. How amazing is that? Now, let me say this as well. In the kingdom of God, you will have meaningful, valuable, purposeful work to do. What's your reaction to that? It's like, work? What? <laughs> Isn't it cursed? <laughs> it is now. <laughs> Did you know that God created work before sin entered the world? Did you know that? God created Adam, our first father. It says in Genesis 2. And God placed him in the garden to work it and to keep it. What this means is that you and I are given by God a beautiful and purposeful calling and gifting to create, my friends. To create. To create culture. To create buildings, civilizations, and societies. That's this is kingdom building. We were made for that. And let me just say this. When Jesus returns, this work will not end. There's always a continuity to what God starts. God doesn't just start something. I'll put you in the garden, work this, and then, ah, plan B. You guys messed it up. No, no. There's always one plan, plan A. So work in the kingdom of God will actually be perfected. You will see buildings built. You will see education flourish. You will see technology expanded. However, that's going to look like. We have to believe and understand, church, that this kingdom is not a boring kingdom. That this kingdom is an exciting kingdom. This is one and where the curse is lifted. God's grace is present in human potential, made in the image and likeness of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, achieves full potential. This means we'll have exciting things to do. Exciting places to explore. I just want us to look forward to this. This false narrative that, and notion that heaven is just going to be boring and we'll, we'll have nothing to do. Come on now. Have you seen? Take a look around what, what, what God created, even in nature. It is demonic. It is a lie spread by the devil who got kicked out of heaven. And ever since, he's been really frustrated, right? And as a result, he has declared war in a, in a negative PR campaign on what the kingdom of God is actually like. That's what's happening here. He's been lying to us on a daily basis. Heaven, the kingdom of God, is going to be the most exciting thing you can experience in your existence. Our mind cannot comprehend fully What's going to be like? What's it going to be like? And how exciting and amazing it will be. There will always be something to do. There will always be ways to grow and even learn, by the way, in the kingdom of God. As we become more like our God throughout eternity, it will be amazing and exciting. So number one, heaven 
is a kingdom. Heaven is a kingdom. Number two, heaven is a city. That's what the Bible says. Heaven is a city as well. The second picture that we, that we see in God's word about heaven is that it's a city. It says in Genesis 1.28, early on with our first parents, Adam and Eve, it says that God blessed them. That's how it starts. I think you and I need to be reminded daily, right, that God loves us and that God's desire and heart is to bless us, period. Right? He's not out to get us. That's where it starts. That's where he starts. Adam and Eve hadn't done anything to deserve it. Did you know that? And guess what? Neither do we. Right? God is just a God of grace. So God said to Adam and Eve, and he says the same thing to us as well. Let's just read Genesis 1.28 now. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and every living thing that moves on the ground. This is the cultural mandate. It's what the theologians and commentators say. This is the cultural mandate. Now, at this point, there's no city on the earth. There's no city. There's only a garden, the Garden of Eden. There's a garden in the middle of the earth, right? And God puts our first parents there, and he says, have kids who have kids who have lots of babies. Fill this whole planet with people. Exercise your dominion over animals and all of the lower creation. And this is what the Bible commentators and theologians call the cultural mandate. What God is telling Adam and Eve and the rest of us uh, to do is build cities, build homes, write music, write script plays, open educational institutions, create culture, have babies, and, and flourish on earth. That's God's intended vision and plan for us. This is what he decreed and calls us to do. Take over the planet and develop it. That's his plan. Now listen to this interesting verse in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10. And the Bible here talks about Abraham, just so we kind of know the context at least a little bit. So the Bible says, for he was, he was looking forward, so Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham is our father in the faith. He's our prototype of what it means to trust God through this life until we get to the next life. And the question is, well, what kept him going? What gave him hope? What sustained him through this life on earth? Well, what kept him going and sustained him was the hope of a city built, not by human hands, but built by God. And that's exactly what should sustain us as well. As we see economies fall and nations in crisis and lots of problems, that's exactly what we see, don't we? And it seems like death is the end. It's not. I got good news. It is not the end. It's just a relocation date for the children of God to the city of God to be blessed forever and ever. Amen? Church, again, I want to touch on this. And I want us to step back every few minutes from this message and, and, and just ponder on this. This changes how we grieve. This changes how we suffer in this world. It should. This changes how we mourn. Now, it doesn't mean that we deny reality, right? But we endure reality to get to the greater reality, don't we? And that greater reality is the kingdom of God and the city of God that never end. Amen. I want us to go to a different passage in the Bible. In Revelation 21, chapter 21, I want us to look at verses 23 and 27. And they show us this reality, this greater reality. It's interesting. If you ever read, how many people here read Revelation? Awesome. Pretty much everyone. Not sure if you picked this up, but the storyline of the Bible, Revelation says it's the beginning, right? And then the middle, and then it points to a beginning again. It's very interesting. And Genesis is where it all begins. Then we have the middle, and this is where we have lots of suffering, sin, and death. And this is where, this is where we have the first coming of Jesus as well. This is where we live now, the middle. And then the great end, the second coming of Jesus to establish the kingdom of God, which is actually the great beginning. How interesting. So Genesis is the book of beginnings. Revelation is the book of conclusions. And God goes back to his original design plan to subdue the earth, to bless humanity, and to allow human flourishing by his grace. How cool is that? And here we, we see the city. This is the city of God. 
But right now, as we speak, we live in Detroit, <laughs> Metro Detroit. We all live in cities of men, built by men. To quote the church father Augustine, this is what he said. The earthly, the earthly cities glorify in themselves. The heavenly city glorifies in the Lord. Let's read Revelation 21 from 23 to 27 because it ties in with what Augustine was saying. I want to just walk kind of verse by verse, just at least have a few thoughts on each, each of these verses. So first verse 23. Just check this out. Again, heaven is like a kingdom, and now we're talking about heaven as the city of God, okay? Verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. It's beautiful. Do you know what this means? That Jesus in his resurrected, glorified, ruling and reigning state will be unveiled in such fullness of glory that all of creation will not need a sun or moon to create light. That just floored me. The presence of Jesus will light up the world, the kingdom, the city. When Jesus said, I am the light of the world, you remember that? I'm the light of the world. He was not speaking in hyperbole. He was not. Sure, he was pointing to a spiritual light that comes in the heart when we receive God in our heart, right? But he was prophesying eternity too. He was prophesying eternity. I will be the light and I will light up the whole kingdom and city. Let's continue with verse 24. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. No more wars. No more conflicts. No more us versus them. It'll always be all of us together and unified with him and because of him. That's what it's about. And every ounce of all the glory will be given to him. Amen. The point is this. There is no unity, church. Until the king returns and becomes the center of all history and of all creation. And then as we gather around the king, we are unified with one another as a byproduct of that. This cannot happen until Jesus comes back. It cannot. And any effort to cause this kind of unity apart from Christ opens up the door to the demonic, to Satan, to enter Christ. To come in and try and bring some sort of unity apart from Jesus, which is counterfeit. That's what's happening right now, I believe, in the world. Let's continue with verse 25. And its gates will never be shut by day. Do you hear that? And there will be no night there. Quite a city, yeah? Tonight, when you go to bed, you're probably going to do what I do. And lock every single door. I mean, the main door, at least, in the garage and all that. At your house. And then double check, right? And make sure all the doors are locked. I do that. I, I just, it's just, I don't know, just a natural reflex. Do you know why we do that? Because we live in a broken world where there's sin and evil. There's danger in this world. There's evil in this world, but not in the city of God. Not in the city where we are reading about here in Revelation. No sin, no evil, no death, nothing to fear. The gates of this city are wide open. Everyone can come in. Well, everyone, quote unquote. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And that's possible because there won't be any looting, any attacking, any death, any stealing. All sin is gone and everything is open. Do you remember the long COVID years, which was not too long ago, and everything was closed and all of us were bummed out? I remember that. The restaurants were closed and the churches were closed and the gyms were closed and the, and the concert venues were closed. In this city, though, uh-uh, everything's open. You can go anywhere at any time, no problem, no restrictions, no quarantine. You don't even have to wash your hands. You can just go. <laughs> That's this great city. The gates will never be shut by day, and there will not be any night there. Again, try to imagine. Let's continue with verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In the ancient world, you were, if you were a resident of a city, you would show up at the gate 
and you could only enter the city if your name was listed, right, as a resident of that city. Well, so when you die, it's kind of the same thing. You will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. The gates of heaven are open, yes, but you will not be allowed to enter unless your name is on the guest list on the Lamb's book of life, to be more precise. That's why the most important decision you make in this life is who your God is. <laughs> because that determines whether or not you're on the guest list. So let me direct you on how to get on that guest list humbly and graciously. Jesus Christ is God. Amen? Jesus Christ is God who entered into human history to defeat death and to forgive sin and to open up this city and this eternal kingdom for us. You are welcome to enter it, to be blessed by him and to be with him forever and ever. But you need to belong to him. You need to follow him. You need to trust in him. This Jesus needs to be your king, your savior, your Lord down here in this life. Which means that right now as we're, as we're talking, you have the most important decision to make if you haven't made it already. Will I give my sin to Jesus? Will I give my future to Jesus? Will I give my life to Jesus? Will I ask him to forgive me? It's amazing. This is why the Bible calls this good news. The gospel, the evangelion. And let me just say this. All we're getting right now is bad news and nothing to look forward to. Well, the kingdom of God. Oh, that's good news. The city of God, that's, that's something extraordinary to look forward to. Also, did you notice that in verse 27, Jesus is referred to as a lamb? Do you know why? Because that's exactly how he came to us the first time. As a lamb, humble, meek. To offer his life in our place for our sin. When he comes again, he'll come as a lion. <laughs> to rule and to reign over his kingdom forever. He's not going to come as a lamb anymore. Not in that way. So the absolute best thing you can do if you haven't already is receive Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and your sin. And then wait for him faithfully. And then wait for him worshipfully as he comes as the lion to conquer the nations. That's our King, Jesus. Most people I talk to, man, they're not really excited about heaven. And that bugs me. Like that bugs me. Do you know? Do you know? Have you read about heaven? That our vision of heaven tends to be far too spiritual and not enough physical. We are going to have our body and soul reunited. Heaven on, 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 and earth will come together. The kingdom of God will include the city of God, which is absolutely grand and majestic and entertaining and exciting and adventurous. And it doesn't look much like the cities that we have now, here and now. And I'm so excited about it. And I want you to be excited about it. I want you to have something to look forward to. And you do if you belong to the Lord Jesus. So heaven is a king, heaven is a city, and then third, let's use our imagination, heaven is a home. Heaven is a home. This is one, one of the big ideas that the Bible presents to us when it comes to the kingdom of God, you know, as a, being a home. We all have a place, thank God for that, an apartment, a house, a place that we call home, don't we? We're, we're, and we're grateful for that. So what I want you to know is that if the Father blesses us with a place that we call home, the Father wants the culture and the environment of His home to live in our home. Does that make sense? We're talking about a culture of love. We're talking about a culture of joy, a culture of friendship, a culture of having meals together and making memories together. That's what we're talking about here. The Father's culture of His home needs to be the culture that as fathers and mothers and children we all bring into our homes down here on earth. Amen? A culture that we need to create in our own homes. When the Bible says, and more specifically, when the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, I think a good place to start is your house and my house. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you say that? Also, Jesus says this in John 14, uh, verses 1 to 3. And he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. 
Believe also in me, in my Father's house, there you go, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to take you to myself, that where I am you may also be. How beautiful, how personal. What Jesus is telling us here is that he's gone before us to prepare a place for us at the Father's house. Is that exciting news or not? And then that he's coming back to take us from our homes to the Father's house, which will be our eternal home. Let me ask you a question. Imagine that, what it would be like to have Jesus living at your house right now. Wouldn't that be cool? Maybe. <laughs> it's like, I want to have the freedom to do the things that I want to do. No, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> Let me tell you this. He will live at your house right now. Did you know that? And I hope he does. If you spend time with him in his word, he'll live at your house. If you worship him, he'll live at your house. If you commune with him in prayer, he'll live at your house. Jesus will move into your house until he comes back to move you to the Father's house. Isn't this amazing? This is about communion with God. That's what we're talking about. This is about knowing God, our, our, our mission statement to know him. This is about fellowship. This is about living and loving God. This is about the intimacy of a family. This is God's idea, not ours. And that's exactly what the kingdom of God as a home shows us. It's about the intimacy of a family, intimacy with God. That's the picture that we see in the word of God about the kingdom of God when it says that it's a home. Additionally, we got a picture of this in Revelation 21. I'm really starting to like this book. I know I said it, but especially chapter 21. Go home and read it. Because it combines the first theme of heaven being a kingdom, and it combines it with the second one of being a city, and then it talks about the third theme of, of a home and a family. It brings all of these three images together. Now, let me just read this portion to us, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, okay? New heaven, new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So this world as we know it right now is going to pass away. We're going to have a new, new heaven, new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So new heaven coming down, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place. This is the home. The dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. How beautiful. Let's recap. So earth is going to be perfected. Thank God. Enjoined by heaven. Heaven and earth will come together as one. So earth will be perfected and, and, then, have, and then have added to it heaven. <laughs> right? Now, I'm, I'm sure many of us ask the question, what will it be like? Use your imagination. <laughs> we'll have to see it with our own eyes, but it's going to be incredible, I'm sure. People and angels and divine beings that God created living together. Those that are dead and departed, all resurrected. Have you had someone that passed? All of them resurrected. All the nations, cultures, languages, peoples, foods, all of this together in one perfect place, ruled by King Jesus forever. And for us, this is our home. And finally, we're no longer restless. We're no longer restless. We're settled. What do you mean by that, Ovi? Well, it doesn't matter how many times you move in your life. I don't know how many times you moved in your life. It doesn't matter if one of those houses that you moved to and, be and became your home was absolutely incredible, maybe. Maybe you had a house in Florida and you loved it, or Montana and you loved it. It doesn't matter because it's just a matter of time until you get bored of it, <laughs> right? Just like we get bored of everything. Just a matter of time until you become restless. There's always that better house. There's always that better neighborhood. There's always that better city, isn't there? We're just restless. We all become restless because it doesn't quite feel like we're home just yet. It's because God put the, the thought of eternity in our hearts. And there's something in there. Know it or not. It's just, oh, you're never settled. And as I study the Bible, I realize that we're going to feel like that until we get to the Father's house. You're never going to be settled, by the way. All anxiety and restlessness will be gone forever because we'll finally be home. 
I can't even imagine that feeling. So again, I'm sure you picked it up reading these verses that, a little bit of recap. What the Bible talks about here is the kingdom with a city called the New Jerusalem. Those are the first two themes and pictures we get about heaven. And then we see the third analogy or picture of, of heaven as a home. And the whole point is for the father to be with his family, with us, in a home. How beautiful. We need to understand that heaven is a place for people. Heaven is not just a place. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's about love. It's about making memories. It's about having meals together. It's about doing life together at the Father's house. That's what God intends. And by the way, He desires that all of us acclimate to heaven from here and now. Amen? Can we do that? Can we acclimate to this family living? So heaven is a kingdom. Heaven is a city. Heaven is a home. And now, and I'm not going to spend that much time on the last two. Um, but number four, heaven is a garden. Heaven is a garden. The reason I'm sharing all of these pictures, all of these themes with you in, in this succession, and it's not my idea. I took this from someone. Well, it's because it makes sense. It's the kingdom that, ha- it's the kingdom that has a city that has a home with a garden. Okay? Kingdom with a city that has a home with a garden. Now, God planted a garden. The Garden of Eden. I'm sure most of us know or heard this name. We see this in Genesis 2.8. Let's read it together. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the men whom he had formed. So God put our first parents in a garden. In a garden out of all places. Did you know that you were made? We were made to live in a beautiful cultivated environment. It's called Eden. It's called paradise. And it's a garden. Did you know that? Furthermore, this is the reason why we love gardens. Anyone here gardening? Okay, the rest of you, you, you're not that spiritual. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Right? But, 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 but what happened, right? So, so, so this is the reason why we love gardens, right? Because we were made to live in a cultivated environment, but what happened is we were kicked out of it because of sin, because of our rebellion. But nevertheless, this is why we're so attracted. And this is why we love parks and gardens and golf courses and family vacations at the lake. Family vacations to the mountains and the beach. And, and this is why we, when the leaves turn color right, in, in fall, we go out to see them. We drive up north because it's just even more magical there. Right? This is why we're attracted to that. It's why we love sunsets. It's why we love sunrises. It's why people drive incredible distances to go to the Grand Canyon or Yosemite Park, etc., etc. You and I were made to live in a cultivated, beautiful environment. For those of you who bring flowers into your home, you long for the Garden of Eden. For those of you that do yard work and gardening, your heart longs for the Garden of Eden. That's what it is. You're missing the place that was your home. You're missing the place that you have been displaced from. It makes sense. Here's what Jesus says, Luke 23, 43. As he's hanging on the cross, and to give you some context, there's a thief who deserves to die next to him. Well, two of them, but I want to talk about one of them. And what happens is the thief responds. One of them responds, repents, and comes to salvation. And Jesus says to him, do you remember what Jesus says to him? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me, where? In paradise. Now, you know what paradise means? A garden. That's what it's translated with, a garden, a pleasure ground, a park. So this guy is a sinner. He's dying, and he's hanging on the cross, worried just like all of us are about death and what comes after, after death and all that. Jesus says, you know what? You get to go to paradise. What Jesus is telling him is Eden was closed for all of you guys for this whole time, but I'm about to die on the cross in your place for your sins, and I will open up Eden for you again. That's what he's saying. Same is true for everyone. If you belong to Jesus and you die, you get to go to paradise. You get to to, to be in the garden of God, in the city of God, in the house of God, in the kingdom of God. All of these pictures and themes are trying to cause us to set our thoughts on the things that are to come, on the things above that are coming down to bless the children of God. Let's go to Revelation again, and more specifically, Revelation 2, 7, where the Bible says, The one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is 
in the paradise of God. This talks about the tree of life. Have you heard of it? That Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat from because they would have lived forever apart from God. I don't know what that fruit tastes like, but I'm sure it will be perfect fruit, fruit like you and I have never had before. But you and I will be able to pick it and eat it and live forever and then go walk with God and commune with God, talk to God just like Adam and Eve did. You need to know that God has in store for you more than you can hope or imagine, friend, to give you some hope to push you through this life a little bit, ultimately to the life that never, never ends. Last few verses on this garden theme. Let's jump to Revelation 22. Let's read from verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. Do you like waters? Do you like waterfalls? You like oceans? Yeah. That's all in the kingdom of God, by the way. And it says, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. What? (laughs) Did you hear that? This humongous river flowing from the throne. So here we have God the Father, here we have God the Son, and this mighty river comes up from under their throne, and it brings life to all, it brings life to all of the new creation, to all the city, all the garden, all the kingdom. I used to like watching YouTube videos about Montana and Idaho, love those two states, and watch the beautiful scenery, the rivers, the mountains, right? And every time you, you'd see a river, everything around it exploded with like life in greenery, like that's just the way it is, it gives life. It's the opposite of what happens in a barren place, like maybe Arizona or who knows what other place. In this new heaven and new earth, all that life-giving divine resource surging forward in the form of this river, this water, body of water, from the throne of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will bring life and flourishing to the entire planet. This is going to be unbelievable. Nothing that we've ever seen. Nothing that we've ever seen on National Geographic, for sure. This is, this is no, there are no Instagram influencer who has snapped a shot of anything that compares to that. Not even close. Let's continue with verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city. <laughs> the river is flying. It's going through the middle of the street. Did you hear that? It's just, I, I can't even imagine that. Also on either side of the river... <clears throat> The tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Don't have time to go into all of that, but I want to just point this out. It's, this river is going right through the city. <laughs> right through the city. I mean, the garden is in the city, and there's this, we have this river flowing right through it. We won't have to move out of the city anymore and buy land so we can feel free and homestead. <laughs> you don't have to do that anymore. You have it all there in one, in one place. Somehow this will be possible in heaven. The garden is in the city. How amazing. Let's read the rest of the verses, verses 3 to 5. I know I can get really excited about this, but just allow me to, right? No longer will there be anything accursed, but the, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. <clears throat> Excuse me. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Bible says that we see in part now, right? We see in part. We know in part. And one day we will see the Lord Jesus face to face. This is the Bible's language of friendship and love and intimacy. On the front of my phone, yeah, I have my kiddos because I love their face. I just do, and it's perfectly okay. And then I have pictures that I kind of switch from, and I, and I love my wife's face too, right? And I just switch from, to that, you know, whenever I want to. I love the face of my wife. I love the face of my kids, but we are all going to see the face of Jesus soon. He's going to look us in the eye, and he's going to tell us that he loves us, and he's going to tell us that I'm glad that you made it. And he's going to tell us that the battle is over, and the forever blessing is just beginning, friend. Church, we need to keep the vision of Jesus' face on our horizon and just march through whatever this life requires, whatever this life throws at us, quote-unquote, to get to that moment for the great homecoming. One of the things that I've been watching 
on the internet lately are the homecoming videos of soldiers. Have you seen some of those? I saw one lately with this plane and the soldier was sitting right, right behind his wife. She had no clue. The whole plane was on it, right? It's just so beautiful to watch, right? I mean, you know, you see all these videos where kids see their dad's face or their mom's face and see the expression on their faces. It's just priceless to see the reunion of the homecoming. Why am I saying that? Well, that's what's going to be like for the children of God when we're going to see Jesus face to face for the first time. We are going to run to him and he's going to embrace us. Everybody who's ever watched a homecoming soldier video on the internet ultimately somehow longs for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's in the heart. It's somewhere. Know it or not. And to see Jesus face to face. Lastly, and I'm ending with this, and it's not, it, it won't be that long, but number five, heaven is a forever party. So it's a kingdom, a city, a home, a garden, and a party, or a wedding feast, however you, you like to, to take it. One of the great lies that Satan tells is that heaven is boring and that hell is fun because everyone there is throwing a party, and we're even making songs about that. <laughs> we're so light, too. Well, everyone in heaven is just sort of sitting around a cloud, wearing a diaper, plucking on some harp forever and ever, dying of boredom. That's not how it's going to go down. Oh, no. That's false advertising from Satan and his demons who don't want you to know how awesome the kingdom of God is because that would be a party you would definitely not want to miss. And you would do everything to get there. And that everything is to trust in your Lord Jesus Christ and to give your life to him. In, in Matthew 22, 1-2, <clears throat> Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a wedding feast, to a party. How beautiful. He says in short, there's a bride and there's a groom. They come together in a covenant of love. Jesus is the groom, by the way, and the church is his bride. We are the bride. So the kingdom of God is like a wedding party. How many girls are looking forward to their wedding and even my four-year-old, she talks about having babies and getting married, and she's telling me that she wants to marry me, right? It's, it's cute now, you know? I, I love it now. Do you know why? Because we were made for a wedding. That's why. We were made for this amazing celebration. We were made for a feast. We were made for love and union and communion with God. And ultimately, weddings are shadows of the great wedding. Parties are shadows of the great party and wedding. I want to close by reading from Revelation 19. If you want to close your eyes, go for it. I don't have time to obviously walk through this. I'm done in like two, three minutes. But I want to read these verses with all that I've said. And now making this last point that, that heaven is a wedding feast, a party. Just, just take these words in. Take, just take them in. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Here's what I'm saying, church. Everyone who throws a party is looking for Jesus. Everyone who cooks a great meal inviting their friends over is ultimately looking for Jesus. And even those that celebrate in a God-dishonoring way and get drunk and do whatever, they're ultimately looking for Jesus. Do you know why? Because we're all just restless, all of us. We've all been kicked out of Eden, and we long for home. We all wish that the world was better and different, don't we? Yes. And for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the kingdom of God is real. And, it's, and it, it, it really exists, and one day it will come from this unseen realm to the seen realm, and it will transform absolutely everything. But until then, did you know that the kingdom of God starts in your heart?
or it can start in your heart. Well, you are invited to invite the kingdom of God in your heart. And you do that by inviting Jesus into your heart. You need Jesus. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. It's all about him. And then ultimately, you will find yourself at this wedding celebration and feast that never ends. Would you stand with me? I thank you, Father. I thank you for this amazing encouragement this morning and all these beautiful passages that we read from your word, from Revelation, Matthew. There was one in Daniel that I didn't get a chance to share, but Lord God, we thank you for your word that builds us, that edifies us, that encourages us. And what an amazing encouragement to know that you are coming back to take us home. What an amazing encouragement, especially when we go through suffering, especially when we go through delicate situations in life, to know that this is not our home, to know that this is just our temporary home, and that one day you'll come back to take us home, to our real home, where we'll all be settled and fully satisfied because we will be with you for an eternity in heaven. Your kingdom, your city, your home, your garden, your wedding. And we get to be your bride. Your bride. Your bride that you died for. Your bride that you died for. And you spilled sacred blood to transform our, our dirty rags into fine linen, pure linen. Thank you. That you are the only one that can get us ready for that feast, for that wedding. It is not our own doing, but it is yours, Jesus. So we stand on you. We stand on you, Jesus. We trust in you, Jesus. If I ask anything today, Father, I ask that you would increase our faith, mature our faith in the promises that you have for us. That you are our King and Savior, Jesus, and that you will come back to take us home. And may this be a true respite, a true oasis for us down here, Lord God, thinking that, thinking what awaits us, thinking that the blissful joy that we're, that we're going to experience, may that be an oasis for us down here. May we look to you, not only in the bad times, in the suffering times, but in the good times as well. May you become and be everything for us. May you be our first love. May we have none other than you, Father to worship, and to love. I thank you again for your people in this place. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for that you have been trustworthy, that you are trustworthy, that you're always going to be trustworthy. I thank you in advance for all that you're going to do from now on. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.